Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Monday, June 14th here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well on this rainy East Coast morning. Big sports weekend in the NBA. Lot to get to. Biggest story from yesterday was the Bucks tie the series two to two. They take both games in Milwaukee. It is now a best of three series as the series comes back to Brooklyn, game five on Tuesday night. And the biggest storyline of this whole season, and it got proven again yesterday, which is just, it's a storyline that as fans, we don't like it. As people who like talking about basketball and watching basketball, we don't like, which is it seems like it's just going to be the healthiest team standing and the last team standing is going to win the championship as a season uh, with a lot of COVID, a lot of injuries, got another one last night. Kyrie Irving goes down, sprained ankle. He is day-to-day, I want to say, is, is probably the best characterization of his injury at this stage. Woj and the guys at ESPN who were at the arena yesterday were reporting that he left the arena on walking boot and crutches. That can mean a lot of different things. That can mean it's very, very serious, or that could mean we're just going to try to take as much pressure off the ankle as possible to not make it worse as they get to the hotel and to the plane ride back to New York. It is unfortunate that this great series has now had two major injuries to deal with, with James Harden going down 40 seconds into game one with a hamstring strain, and now Kyrie having this ankle injury because Kyrie was playing great the whole the whole series. Really, the whole season, he was putting up great numbers, really, really good basketball player. He is one of the best guards in the entire world, and it just stinks to see another NBA superstar go down with an injury this season and, and this playoffs because you, you want to see both teams at their absolute best going head-to-head, best-on-best, because these two teams are both, they're both really, really good. So... Looking ahead to to game five, because in game four, the, the whole tenor and of the game changed once Kyrie went down with that injury because the Bucks were playing well. They had a lead, but once Kyrie went down, the Bucks were able to really pull ahead and, and, and win that game. Going ahead to game five, it's as we're recording this Monday morning, it's way too early to know if Kyrie will play a game five. It seems unlikely. It seems like he may miss game five, but ankle injuries in particular are very fickle. They're very unique. They're, you can't just put it in a box and say, okay, this is a two-week injury, three-week injury. It could be something where he misses one game and he's back game six, or it could be he's out five weeks, and depending on how the, the Nets do in his absence, it could be the end of his personal season. Whatever it is, you... You just want to say, okay, he's he stated it. I still think Harden is unlikely to play game five tomorrow night, just given his hamstring injury, the same one, the same hamstring that caused him to miss several weeks earlier in the season. Steve Nash has given indications that there's still he still has a gap to go and make up in his recovery and his rehab. Whatever it may be, the Nets are not out of this series. Any person who says that the Nets are done in this series without Kyrie and James Harden is clearly forgetting that the Nets have Kevin Durant. That the Nets have Kevin Durant. 
Kevin Durant is so good. He is the best player in the world remaining in the playoffs. It's basically him and LeBron for best basketball players on the planet Earth. He is special. He can win this series because he can win two games by himself. He can go Inferno, Kevin Durant, and win the series. Remember, two two seasons ago, the last time Durant was in the playoffs, they were playing the Warriors were playing the Clippers in the first round. The Clippers were giving them trouble. The Clippers were hanging in there. They they stole a game at Oracle when they came back from twenty five plus. The Clippers were were giving them trouble, and Durant was struggling a little bit early in that series. In a similar vein as to how he's struggling now versus the the Bucks defense, smaller guys getting up underneath them, being super physical. And I talked about on the Saturday podcast. A lot of those shots, it's for with Kevin Durant when he can rise and fire over you. It's a make or miss, and he was missing, and he missed again yesterday. PJ Tucker played great defense on him. Very physical, did a great job of trying to get him out of his rhythm, which is really all you can do against a really talented scorer like Kevin Durant is just make it difficult. Don't make it easy. Get him out of his rhythm. Make him uncomfortable if if you can. Did Tucker, was his physicality borderlining on on fouls in some places? Sure. But it's up to the referees to, to call the game and to establish what, type of physicality is allowed and not allowed. And the refs yesterday, I thought, were poor. They they went back and forth on a lot of different things, calling a bunch of touch fouls and then letting a lot of physical play go in the same vein on the, on the next play. But you can't count out Durant because he struggled the last two games. When he was showing against the Clippers, some reporter asked him, you know, about his struggles and what he was going to do. And he literally just responded by saying, I'm Kevin Durant. You know who I am. Like I'm with I'm Kevin Durant. Like I am I am incredible at this. I am a bucket getter. I am one of the best scorers in the history of basketball. He will come out in game 5, I believe, at home and come out looking to dominate, looking to kill. Jumpers, being super aggressive getting to the basket. He is such a good free throw shooter that he can put so much pressure on on the other team when he drives in. You know, he he got to the line yesterday, 10, 10 times, took 10 free throws, 9 of 10. Because if the ball's not going, you know, he was 9 for 25 from the field. But what he can do so well is when he draws fouls, he can still be aggressive. He could still end up with, with 28 points and, and keep his team in, in the game. It will be fascinating to see just how much longer P.J. Tucker can keep guarding him like this. The amount of energy and effort P.J. Tucker plays with is inspiring. He's the type of guy who you would want him on your team, someone who doesn't really need to score. He was great yesterday, hit three threes, a couple layups. He's a he's the type of guy who you want as a teammate because he crashes the offensive glass really hard. He's super physical. He's going to dive on the floor for, for loose balls. He's going to sacrifice his body. He's going to guard the best player on the other team, even though he's going to get scored on a bunch because it's Kevin Durant. He's still going to do it. He's going to be super physical. He's a guy who just knows his role and is really, really fun to watch play. It'll be interesting to see if in game five and game six, if we know we're going to get at least, at least two more games of this series, hopefully three, hopefully this goes seven. Just how much longer can, can and how many more games can Tucker guard Durant like this for 30 plus minutes and s- stick with it and be super, super effective? Because eventually... Eventually, Durant's going to Durant and start scoring a lot again. But we will see. 
Game five adjustments. The Nets have to find some more scoring without Kyrie. Assuming Kyrie and Harden don't play, do they go more defense? Do they start, whether it be Landry uh, Shamit for more offense? Do they start Jeff Green to get another 6-8 versatile switchy defender out there? I, I, I would personally start Jeff Green without Kyrie Irving. Move Bruce Brown and basically Durant to to point guard. Maybe they'll start Mike James, who is probably their true backup point guard at this point of the season. This is another moment for for Steve Nash to make an adjustment. He's he's dealt with a lot of lineup uh, inconsistencies during the regular season. He's experienced with not having his superstars in every game. We'll see what he does because the Bucks are going to keep coming. They finally shot the ball better from three in yesterday's game. Didn't shoot a great percentage, but they made 16 threes. They took 47, but they made 16. And the playmaking of Giannis is super impressive because you can say he's still a poor jump shooter, that that part of his game hasn't gotten any better. He's still poor from mid-range, far away, free throw shooting, so when you just look at his percentage and you watch him play, just from a shooting perspective, you could say he hasn't gotten any better in that part of his game. But then you watch the way that he can drive and pass now and his reads on offense. He made three or four passes in the first half that he did that he could not make a year and a half ago, two years ago, when he won his first MVP award. Driving in jumping and turning around and firing it back out to Lopez for a catch-and-shoot three. Yaz could not make that play two years ago when he won his first MVP award. In transition, hitting P.J. Tucker on a hard chest pass for a layup. Yaz did not make that pass two years ago. The growth that he has shown in his playmaking ability is extremely, extremely impressive for a guy who has been a two-time MVP without these skills, without these skill sets, but recognizing that, look... The other teams are going to really, really pack the paint against him when he drives. They're going to bring, they're going to pack it all in and say, "We, you are so good and so big. We're not going to let you get layups and dunks. We're going to force you to pass because one, you weren't that good at it. Now he's getting better and better, and we're going to force other guys to beat us." So the big adjustment again for the Bucks is getting Giannis off the ball, setting screens, diving to the rim have him keep attacking the basket and kick out to shooters who are ready to shoot and just knock them down, have confidence, knock them down. Because the more ball movement they have and the less isolation they have, the better chances they will have to win this series because their isolation play was is not getting it done. It's not how you get it done against a really bad defensive team like Brooklyn because you're bailing them out. You're bailing them out because they don't have to rotate. They don't have to guard. They don't have to do pick-and-roll defense. They don't have to really talk that much if it's just one guy dribbling and then he's going to drive and shoot or just pull up and shoot. The more that Milwaukee can do on offense, off the ball, movement, ball screens, handoffs, drives, kicks, even if it leads to one or two shot clock violations because they're moving the ball so much, that's okay because that's what they need to get back to doing and they and they did that in in game 4 and it was and it's impressive because when they're moving on offense it looks really good but when they get super stagnant that's when Brooklyn has this ability to with Durant 
and the way they can shoot the ball with Harris and Shamit and Green and James can go on just an immediate boom, 8-0 run, and a lead that was two points is is now 10 points. So those are kind of the things I'm looking for for, for Game 5 is just Durant's going to come out super, super aggressive. Milwaukee has to keep being a lot of movement on offense, not a lot of stagnation, try to limit the ISO, and that's really what's going to come down to, to, to Game 5 is can can they shoot the ball well in the Barclays because they shot it really, really poorly those those first two days. So I'm looking forward to it. That's that's Tuesday night. The other game yesterday, quickly, Suns-Nuggets. This game turned out as expected. Phoenix won. They were the better team, better team all, all series. They, with Jamal Murray's injury for, for Denver, Denver just didn't have enough offense. They didn't have enough firepower, didn't have enough offense to keep up with Chris Paul and Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns. Was I surprised that the Suns won this series? No. Was I su- surprised that they swept them? Yes. I thought this would be a five or six game series. I thought Jokic and just the way Denver can still kind of shoot the three ball and the way that they can frustrate you with their offense and Michael Porter Jr. and just like the, the quirkiness of Jokic could have stolen a game or two, but this was the expected outcome just in fewer games. The most surprising part of the game yesterday was Nikola Jokic's ejection, the MVP, because, uh, you know, he was frustrated. He went, he said after the game, try, try to change the pace, the feeling, the tempo, uh, the aura around game four by committing a hard foul and try to wake his team up and, and all that stuff that, that somehow hard fouls can do. Well, according to the rule book, when you swing back the way that he did and wind up and go for the ball and you, and you hit someone in the head, that's a flagrant two foul when it's not considered a true basketball play. It was just rare that they called, that the refs called it a flagrant two and he was ejected because he's the MVP of the league in an elimination game. The NBA rarely calls MVPs on, on that type of stuff. And that was the the rarest part of the game because I've talked about before with Giannis's free throws and why I'm so over it is the NBA picks and chooses what calls to to make, what rules to enforce, and especially who they're going to enforce it on. That was the craziest part about Giannis was they don't call this 10-second thing all season until the playoffs, game one, Miami, overtime. Then, then now you're going to call it? It makes no sense. And so it was interesting to see on the, on, on the flip side, again, they call the flagrant two on Jokic and they eject him and it's the it's it's the right call. The same way that the Giannis one was the right call, but he's the MVP and the superstar. It's just weird seeing, again, the selective refereeing and enforcement of different rules in the NBA because in the NBA, there is... It feels like when you're watching the games, there is a rule book in certain rules that the that the 375-ish players have to follow, and then there's the rules that the top 25 guys follow. And it's just rare and it's weird kind of because we're so used to it this way of seeing those top 25 guys get called for the same ways and the, and the same fouls that the, that, that the other 350 guys in the NBA get, get called for. But... Besides that, Phoenix deserved to win this series, not taking any way, anything away from them. They were the better team. They won this series, and they they look like real title threats and and perhaps title favorites with all of Brooklyn's injuries now. 
they will play the winner of the series that has game four tonight, Jazz Clippers. This game is in L.A. The Clippers won game three. Paul George played great. The Clippers won by a lot. Makes sense. Game three, 2-0, backs against the wall. Traditionally, this is the game that the home team always wins. Game three, down 2-0. Usually, it comes back 2-1 heading into game four. Now, the biggest adjustment Ty Lu makes and continues to make is with his lineups. They went small on game one. They went big in game two. And they went back small game three. Zubach in game three barely played like 10 minutes. Maybe. Yeah, th- 13 minutes. Sorry. 13 minutes. But they went small. They started Morris and Batum and Jackson. Terrence Mann got a lot of run, which is something that, that I was looking for as I came back to L.A. Luke Kennard is now firmly in the rotation. Weirdly, Rondo's not in the rotation. Don't really get that. He's... I like Rondo. I think he's really good. I think he rises to the occasion. He passes the ball. He drives the ball. He can get to the rim. Maybe maybe we'll see some more Rondo tonight. They're, the Clippers are a weird team. They are a weird, weird team because Paul George was awesome, 31 points, very efficient shooting-wise. But you just don't really know what to expect game-to-game game from them. If their lineups, their rotations... The only thing you know is that Kawhi Leonard's going to come out with a purpose. He, he's going to he's, he's going to play really really hard and, and dominate the game. Donovan Mitchell left Game Three with with a, some type of ankle injury soreness. Uh, he says he'll be fine for Game Four. That's great news for for Utah, but he got the Kawhi Leonard treatment in parts of Game Three, and, and he's going to get that again in in Game Four and. We will see how long Kawhi can keep this up. How how long can he, for as many rounds, guard the other team's best player while having to score 30 points on his own? We will see. We will see. But I'm looking forward to this one because series don't start. The, the, the old saying goes that series don't start until someone wins a road game. And the Jazz are the better team. The Jazz were the best team in the NBA all season. They shot the ball poorly-ish in Game 3. They had mainly Bogdanovich didn't shoot that well. He was 2 for 10 from, from the field. But they made, the, you know, they, they, they made 19 three-pointers and still lost by 20 points. That has to be a really rare thing in, in NBA history. But they are the better team if they can shoot the ball better and really use their Gobert advantage when the Clippers are really small, the way that Dallas was able to by throwing it into Boban. Now, Boban has more traditional post moves than than Rudy does, but Rudy still has a huge size advantage. The more that they can utilize him so that Mitchell doesn't have to go against Kawhi every possession to create something, that could be a huge, huge advantage. But I'm, I'm excited for this one. Two good teams, two good coaches. We'll, we'll see the adjustments... Uh, that are made and, and really it, it all starts with who do the Clippers start and who are the first couple guys they they go to off the bench. Other game tonight, we have the Hawks against the Sixers. I'm, not, I'm only going to cover this one quickly because the, the the biggest thing that that happened was that in Game Three, Danny Green gets hurt. Danny Green is a champion. He has won 
a championship on three different teams. It feels like every team that he goes to, they are a deep playoff contender. He is going for his third straight championship with three different teams, which would be one of the craziest, most unique, fun uh, events to happen in all of the NBA. He's out. Hurt his calf. As compared to Kyrie's injury, we 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 know that a calf injury, if, if you strain or or pull your calf, that's like a at least a one and a half to two week injury at 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 least. He this could be a big loss. He's a good wing defender, a very good shooter around Embiid and his double teams. Now, watching Game Three, did it in in the first three games of the series, especially Game Three, it doesn't really look like Embiid cares about double teams. It's just like, okay, cool. Now there's two guys who are going to foul me, and now you have to be even more careful because I'm humongous and I'm going to do my move. And if you hit me, it's a foul, and I'm going to go to the free throw line where I'm awesome, and you're going to be in foul trouble and sit on the bench. Danny Green's injury does not mean that the Hawks now have someone who can guard Joel Embiid. It just means that the Sixers now have one fewer, one less guy who can really be a threat from three around him and one fewer guy to guard the Hawks' very good wings, whether it's Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Herter, Collins, those types of guys. We're, we're going to really see DeAndre Hunter's absence for Atlanta because he's out for the season. Now with Danny Green's injury, because with having him, it would just been another advantage for Atlanta on the wings, which would have been really interesting to to see. But don't don't rule out Atlanta. Trey Young still has a forty point game in him. It's going to be tough with Ben Simmons guarding him predominant predominantly. But again, there it's so hard to talk about this series without just saying, well, one team has Joel Embiid and the other team doesn't have anyone who can guard him. But that's sometimes what these series come down to, which is that one team has the best player, which the Sixers do, and it's it's really sometimes just just that simple. Maybe Nate McMillan and the Hawks coaching staff in these in, in this break between games has has found a way and found a new strategy to to try to confront him. Maybe it's double teaming. Maybe it's going way more zone or a triangle and two box and one, whatever it may be. Maybe they'll try a boxing one, Nick Nurse style, around uh, Embiid just with the the lack of shooting that Philly now has potentially in certain lineups with Danny Green's injury. Like if they start Thibel, and now they're playing Thibel and Simmons, which I don't think they will do, that's a lot of non-shooting on the court. So maybe so maybe you can go boxing one Embiid with those two non-shooters on, on the court for, for Philly, but it's... It's still a fun series, but but sometimes you don't have to go searching for answers about why a series is going a certain way. Sometimes it's just super, super simple. Sometimes it's super easy. One team has Joel Embiid, has the best player who's healthy, playing at a high level, and the other team just doesn't have anyone who can guard him. So I'm excited for those two games tonight. Sixers-Hawks, 7.30. Jazz Clippers, 10 o'clock. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back hopefully tomorrow. Take care and make it a great day.